Welcome to Success Hackers, Cracking the Entrepreneurial Code, the podcast that's focused on empowering entrepreneurs to find the edge and take their business to a whole nother level. We're peeking behind the curtain to learn entrepreneurial shortcuts and success strategies from the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet. Get ready for mind-blowing entrepreneurial tips with your host, high-performance business coach, keynote speaker, and author, Scott Hansen. Showtime in three, two, one. Hacker Nation, this is Scott Hansen. Who is fired up to get their day playing at a high level today? Well, today's episode, like every other episode, is always going to be at a very high level but this episode is going to be very, very unique. We're actually going to teach you how to double and even triple your business. And I really want to get you thinking differently about your business on a much larger scale. If you were one of the biggest companies in your industry, would that allow you to be more recognized? Of course it would, right? What if your products were worn by some of the most influential, successful individuals in the world? Let me ask you another question. How many of you love diamonds? Maybe you've just bought some diamonds. Maybe, ladies, you love the diamonds. Gentlemen, maybe you love the diamonds as well. Well, guess what? Today we are going to speak to the owner and founder of one of the world's largest diamond experts. Today our featured guest is Mr. Fred Quayar. Fred, are you ready to rock? Let's do this. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Good to talk to you. Awesome. Success Hackers is brought to you by Advisor.tv, empowering business through advice. Fred Cuellar, the founder and the president of Diamond Cutters International. His clients include former First Lady and President George W. Bush, the Saudi royal family, and hundreds of professional athletes and various celebrities, including Oprah. He was ranked by Google as the number one diamond expert, jeweler for three of the last four presidents of the United States, and created the inaugural Jewelry Collection for President Barack Obama in 2008. He's also the author of the number one selling book on diamonds in the country entitled How to Buy a Diamond and has been featured in the Today Show, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, CBS Morning News, Donahue, Fox News, CNN, ESPN, as well as over 500 other news and talk shows. And the list just goes on and on and on. We don't have enough time to go over all this man's accolades, but... Rest assured, he has done a ton. Fred, welcome to Success Hackers. It is great to have you. It's great to be uh, hacked. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fred, Fred, I gave Hacker Nation just a little bit of background of you, but would love for you to share more about yourself and your business and really how you got started in the diamond business in the first place. Uh, my father was a wing commander in the Air Force, uh, and from a very early age, he was very specific and told me what I was going to do with my life. He said, you're going to be a mechanical engineer. And, and I was like, well, Dad, I'm like, I don't know, six or seven. What, what's a mechanical engineer? And his reaction was, doesn't make a difference. They make a good living. Hmm. And that's what you're going to be when people ask you. As I grew up, I started to realize that, uh, hey, maybe I don't just want to do what my dad picked out of a hat. Uh, and being that he was in the military, we traveled all around and forcing me to make new friends everywhere I went and stuff like that, and uh, decided to do something else. Picked up the phone, called a friend of mine that I knew in Virginia, who then said to me, hey, Fred, I hear there's a lot of money in diamonds. A new mall had opened up at um, 
post Oak Mall at, uh, in College Station, and I got a part-time job in a jewelry store. And being a systems guy by nature, as I worked the part-time job, I looked at it and said, this does not seem the way a jewelry store should operate. Then did not go to class for the next six months and basically wrote a business plan on how I thought diamonds should be sold uh, in the U.S. and worldwide. One of the things that we talk a lot about on the show, Fred, is passion. And it's so important to find whatever passion is for you. And even though your dad wanted you to become a mechanical engineer, you said, no, that's not me. You stumbled on this, this thing called the diamond business and the rest is history. We'll talk a lot about that here on the show and how you actually literally grew your business to be one of the largest, if not the largest, um, in the country. How did you get to be so passionate about the actual diamond business itself? Everybody meets somebody, you know, uh, who literally alters the course of their life. Uh, for me, that happened in 1984. I had been, after I, I had, was working on the business plan, working as a part-time jeweler, uh, I realized, hey, you know, uh, I've got this other idea of what I want to do, but was scared to do it. I mean, the idea of being your own boss, starting your own company, how much money it would take to run the company. So it was easier to continue to grow with that part-time job, becomes a full-time job, doing pretty good, you know, making $50,000 a year, you know, working for uh, uh, a jewelry store. And then I was away in Atlanta um, on a, I guess it was a manager's uh, meeting, and I was sitting next to a guy, a tall, lanky guy. And I don't know if you've ever sat next to somebody who keeps tapping their foot. It kind of drives you crazy. <laughs> and, and you know, Atlanta airport, it was just so packed and stuff. And, and I was going crazy, and I just kind of reached over, and I grabbed this guy's leg, and I said, hey, man, you got to stop shaking your leg. You're driving me crazy. I'm just trying to get back to Texas. And he said to me, Fred, look, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just so nervous. I'm about to go on my first national talk show. And I said, really? I said, are you famous? And he goes, no, not yet. But, you know, hopefully that'll change. And I said, huh. I said, who are you? He says, my name is Anthony Robbins. <laughs> and I said, well, my name's Fred Cuellar. I, I, I don't know who you are. But, you know, maybe one day I'll be telling this story. I said, what TV show are you going on? He goes, I'm going on the Merv Griffin show. And I said, well, why are you going on the Merv Griffin show? He says, well, Fred, I figured something out that I don't think anybody else has figured out. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I'm going to be watching this show. Can you tell me? He says, yeah, yeah. He says, well, look, I just want you to know there was a time in my life I was overweight and my girlfriend had left me. And I'd been fired from my job, and I was being kicked out, evicted from my apartment. And I'm like, wow, that sounds horrible. He says, yeah. And I was looking for a way to figure out what to do with my life. And then it hit me. And I went, okay, what hit you? He goes, it dawned on me, Fred, that there are very few people in this world that will do things that have never been done. And I went, okay. Say things that have never been said. Write things that have never been written. I said, wow, yeah, okay. He goes, and I don't think I'm one of those special people. And I went, wow, really? This is, this is your, oh my God, idea? What? He goes, no, Fred, what it hit me was, it doesn't make a difference whether I'm that special person. What dawned on me was that success could be copied. My job isn't 
to reinvent the wheel. My job isn't to invent the wheel. My job is to go out there and find people that are passionate about what they do, successful at what they do, and then ask them what they did. How did they do it? Why should I have to figure it out on my own? No. So if I find a guy who used to be overweight and now has conquered his weight problem, how'd you do it? I found a person who doesn't have love in their life, now has a loving, lasting relationship. Ask him how they did it. And I said, wow, that's it? Just copy somebody that's successful? That's your great idea? He goes, that's my idea. But when I got on my the airplane, I remember thinking to myself, God, what am I scared of? Hmm. At the very least, I can copy somebody who's already got a good idea. What do I want to copy? That's when I realized, I said, okay, um, I had the business plan that I'd written before, and I said, all right, there isn't a diamond and color stone cutting house in the southwest United States. They're on the east coast, they're on the west coast, but there's no one here central. Just like if someone said, hey, there's a McDonald's or an In-N-Out burger here, and there's not one here, I'll just take the same concept and idea and add my own two cents to it. And so that's how I kind of got brave enough to go out there into the world, because I thought, how difficult could it be just to copy somebody? You did. What a great story, by the way. By the way, Fred, we lo- you're, you're going to get along just great with Hacker Nation. We love our stories. <laughs> we love to you know, hear sort of how things happen and where you now are in your life and your business. And you get into the diamond business and you start growing the business. What was the aha moment that made you say, wait a second, I don't want Diamond Cutters International just to compete. I want to dominate. I want to dominate this space and have arguably some of the most famous, important, successful people in the world wear my diamonds. Before I started the company, I was talking to a friend of mine and asking him, you know, hey, what do you think? This is this is my idea. I'm going to start this company. And he said, Fred, you have a baby face. You're not even Jewish. Jewish is for the diamond business. This is you're never going to succeed. Your family wasn't in the business. He's giving me all these reasons why I couldn't be successful with it. And I said, um, wow, that's not kind of what I was looking for. I said, look, from everything that I've seen, I, I laid out the two business models that existed in selling jewelry. Uh, you, of course, know what an iron triangle is. It's the idea that you've got the quality of a product. You've got the, the, uh, the service off, obviously tied to that. The, the cost involved with the product and the time it takes to deliver. The only two business models that existed in the jury business were what's called the guild model, which is you can have your product right now, great quality, but it costs a lot of money. Or you can have your product right now at a low price, but the quality is very low because you can't get you know all three corners of the iron triangle. And I was stunned why no one had built the obvious choice of well, how about I get you great quality, low price, but you don't get the merchandise right now? What if like a custom meal or a homemade cooked meal, I take the best ingredients, you have to wait for it, but but you get spectacular quality and you use some of the time to offset some of the cost. Uh, and the reason no one had done that was 50% of all jewelry is impulse shoppers. I need it today, I need it in the next 24 hours, 40 hours, uh, I've got an anniversary, I got a birthday present, I need something now, wait till the last minute. So every jeweler had thought, well, if 50% of all jewelry sales are based on impulse shoppers, I must make sure I have ready-made jewelry to go. 
I took the contrarian viewpoint and said, nah, what if I take these guys who are impatient and kick them to the curb and just say, I'm only going to focus on the people who are patient, who are willing to delay gratification. I'm going to make that my niche market. Mm. And it turned that business model turned out to be everything. Wow. What a <laughs> another great story. So you took a traditional business model and said, rather than compete with, you know, these diamond companies, these storefronts that you see all over the all over the country, you would rather become more niche, charge a lot higher of a premium, but to people that could afford it that also could delay their gratification, but it's something that's specifically made for them. Well, I didn't even charge the higher premium. My reaction was, if I'm a, if there's a young guy out there, and like a Tiffany's or, or or a Cartier or a Graf or Winston, that's the guild model. They get you high quality, high, you know, at a high price, but you get to have it right now. My argument was, why not make a generic version of that? I'll give you the same product, the, the Cartier diamond, the, the Tiffany diamond. But at a wholesale price, 50, 60, 70% less, but you can't walk in the store and get it. The diamond will be custom cut. The setting will be custom made. So it could take days, weeks, or months to get your piece of jewelry. But because I don't have to stock it and have these huge inventory costs of it ready to be made, I only custom make what people want. Uh, then from that standpoint, I could theoretically do anything. Hmm. And our margins are about the same. Uh, Tiffany's or Cartier, after they pay all the bills, you know, they'll make 10%. I'll make the same 10%. But I found that the typical jeweler doesn't care about paying that huge brand name price. If the diamond's exactly the same and the setting's exactly the same, uh, but it's 70, 80% less expensive, wow. I mean, if, if someone said to you, hey, my wife wants a Louis Vuitton purse and there's a company they'll give you, no, no kidding, Louis Vuitton purse, but they'll give you the Louis Vuitton purse for 70, 80% off. People will beat a path to your door. And that's kind of what I did. Hmm. I looked at name brands versus generics and said, I don't mind. I'll be the generic, give you the same exact quality and see if people will respond to that. And wow, they really did. And it just, <laughs> it just proves my point that I remember when I was shopping for a ring for my my now wife and uh, we went to the traditional the malls if you will and then someone said you know have you thought about going down to the diamond district and you feel a little bit like weird because you don't really know all the terminology and you had to study up on it a little bit but then sure enough you know you go in front of one of these these the diamond district guys and uh, sure enough they're not only great people but they were able to really save me a ton of money on something that maybe it didn't have like you said the you know, the name brand behind it. But to me and to my wife and the cut and the clarity and all that, it didn't matter. It was still a beautiful ring at literally a third of the cost. On the show, we talk a lot about successes and wins and accomplishments and accolades, Fred. But I believe the mark of a true winner is when someone actually fails. They might even feel like giving up, but they keep moving forward. They keep climbing up their success mountain. Do you remember a moment when you actually failed on your journey and you might have even wanted to give up, but then you kept going forward? Can you pay, take us back to that specific moment? God, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, everything has a failure quotient, right? Um, the idea that failure always precedes success. Yeah, I think the thing that scared me the most was lucky or not lucky, 
people responded to the idea of what I was doing. The other thing I, I understood was the idea of the law reciprocation. To the degree that you satisfy the people's needs, your needs will be satisfied. My entire focus was how do I make my customers' lives better, more fantastic? And so literally, by the, before I was 21 years old, I was, I was very wealthy. It seemed like I had the Midas touch. Everything worked out really well. And I think that was kind of a curse from the standpoint that when everything works out really well for you, your ego can get kind of big. Your head doesn't fit inside the door and stuff like that. And so at age 35, when I had a right hemisphere stroke and I was uh, paralyzed on the left side of my body, six months of rehab, that kind of shook me up. Um, because I'd become a millionaire, which isn't that big a deal these days, very early in life, I was focused on, well, that's it. I want to be the first Catholic billionaire in the diamond business to the point where I was sleeping four hours a day. I wasn't spending time with my wife. My parents didn't know me. I wasn't eating right. Um, so it was, it was, it was a tough time. And, and after the rehab, I was thinking about just getting out of the diamond business, giving it all up, doing something else with my life. My wife told me that if I quit the diamond business, uh, she would divorce me. <laughs> So many people think success is rewards and money and status and stuff and praise. And I had gotten caught up in that kind of mindset only to realize that, no, those extrinsic values, that really wasn't success. It was more the intrinsic values that were success, personal growth, uh, relationships, helping others. And I think after the stroke, I, I, I focused less on Ooh, geez, I want to be so wealthy or this, that, and the other. And more on, how can I make people's lives better? Mm. How can I, I mean, we're here for such a very short period of time. What will people say when I'm gone? Will they say, hey, he left the place a little bit better? Or will they say, geez, look at that horrible carbon footprint he left. And so I guess that was it. You know, my wife needed to just kind of hit me upside the head so that I could focus on knowing what was most important. And that is, my God, this listening to the customer, seeing where their fears lied, and then doing the best I could to remove their fears from whatever they were trying to do. And I think writing the How to Buy a Diamond book helped a lot. Once I wrote a book that became number one selling book in the world on diamonds, and, that, and then made me an authority, uh, that helped a lot. It's amazing how when things, events take place, happen to us in our lives, and we have a shift, you know, in our mindset to what success is or what work is, and we cut back here and we spend more time with our family or, like you mentioned, with personal development and and realizing that there's a grander thing than just money. But then there's the argument, Fred, that someone might be listening saying, yeah, but this is a guy that was a millionaire by the time he was, what, 21, 25 years old, and yeah, he's had a lot of things, and he's... He's, you know, he's done, he's written books, he's been on stages, he's been on all across the media. So is it more that you've already climbed your success mountain and can say those things because you've already kind of reached the pinnacle? Or if someone's trying to climb their success mountain, what advice would you give that person that's still really hungry to go after whatever they call success? The, the last thing I would leave anybody with was, when I was about 12, I went to my dad and I asked him what the meaning of life was. And to which he said, go look it up. So I went to the bookstore 
figuring, okay, well, he told me to look it up. There's bound to be a book in here that's going to tell me what the secret to success is, you know, what's the secret to life or what's the meaning of life. And I saw a paperback book. Uh, I think the publication date was 1979 from a guy named Robert Conklin. And the book was called How to Get People to Do Things. And I remember thinking to myself, this is perfect. If I get people to do the stuff that I say, how can I not be successful? <laughs> this has got to be the key to life. <laughs> so I bought the paperback book for five or six bucks. I ran home thinking, wow, this is going to be super successful. And right there on page one, he said it. He says, look, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. And I'll give you all the examples in the rest of the book, but I'm going to lay out the secret right here up front. To the degree that you satisfy other people's needs, your needs will be satisfied. Hmm. Most people have it backwards. They go, well, what are you doing for me? If you do something for me, well, then I'll do something for you. No, it's you've got to give first and then allow people to give back and then, and then take back. And so what I would give the advice to anybody is very simple. If you draw a circle around your circle of influence, your Facebook friends, the people that you know, and ask them very simply, what would you change about your life? What can I do to make your life better? But we don't ask that. We think, well, if I can build it, then I will attract it. No. How about you make something where there is already an existing problem that's there? Instead of saying, hey, let me come up with an answer that no one's even asked a question to. That doesn't mm. seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, great advice. Wow. Hacker Nation, Fred is dropping some serious, he's telling some incredible stories and he's so easy to listen to, but he's dropping some serious golden nuggets on us. I mean, giving starts the receiving process. Be a servant leader. Figure out a problem that's already out there and not to try to create something from scratch and, and reinvent the wheel. He's mentioned that a few times. and. One of the segments on the show is we call the the success hack. Um, Hacker Nation is very hungry to do massive things in their business. What's maybe one success strategy or hack that you can leave with our listeners to really help them start thinking about dominating rather than simply competing in their marketplace? What I would say is just pull out a sheet of paper right now. I get a pen or a pencil out, or you know, pull out your iPad if, you, if that's more comfortable, uh, and write down the ten things that scare you the most. There's eight elements that people know about in running a perfectly run system. Simplicity, subtlety, suggestiveness, stillness, elegance. Remove all non-essentials from the system. Create empty space and be natural. Every single time I've seen a successful company, those eight elements are present. <laughs> so much good stuff. Good stuff, Fred. We are now going to enter the randomness round. But before we do, let's take a quick moment and hear from our sponsor. Success Hackers is now heard on the Igloo Radio app. Listen to the Igloo Radio anytime to hear their shows on demand or those you may have missed. The app will also send notifications alerting you to special programs and information on what we are talking about each week. In addition to Success Hackers, Igloo Radio offers other independent podcasts covering a variety of subjects that you won't find anywhere else. Igloo Radio, spelled I-G-L-U, is available for iPhones, iPads, and Android mobile devices. You'll find Igloo Radio at both the Apple and Google Play app stores. Igloo Radio, I-G-L-U Radio, download it today. 
Okay, Fred, we are now going to enter the randomness round. It's like putting you sort of on the success hacker's version of the hot seat. Okay. Whatever's the first answer that comes to mind, just let it rip. So, Fred, are you ready for the randomness round? Ready. Best advice you've ever received? Uh, from Paul Newman. Um, he summed it all up in a quote, which was, uh, just because a rose dies on the vine doesn't mean it lied to you when it was in bloom. The lesson he was trying to teach me was we seem to value only the long relationships in our lives when reality is all relationships, even the ones that are very short, can be special and meaningful in your life. Don't throw things away just because they came to an end. There still may be some benefit from you from that. What's a daily habit that you do sometime throughout the day that puts you in a great frame of mind? Uh, my watch tells me to stand up 12 times a day from sitting down too much. Uh, I work out every single day. You will now own a time machine. I want you to travel back in time to when you were 25 years old again. What advice would your current self, knowing about life and business, tell your 25-year-old self? There are two things that can rule your life, love or fear. Um, whenever you're in doubt, listen to love. Ask yourself what would love do. Do that. Money is a byproduct of doing what you love to do. What's the one trait that you have that's contributed mostly to your success? Surrounding myself with successful people. What's a hidden talent that you have that most people may not know about you? I, I can do a pretty uh, cool magic trick. Last question of the randomness round, Fred. When your life is near the end, what do you want your legacy to be? I, I honestly believe that to love and be loved, that's why we're here. And if at least one person says, he made my life a little bit better because he was here, then uh, whatever's next, I'll be, I'll be happy with that. This has been incredible. Thank you, Fred, so much for your time and sharing all these incredible success strategies and stories with Hacker Nation. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your business? Well, uh, you can go to my website, diamondcuttersintl.com. That'd probably be the best bet. And I know you're on Twitter. Where can we find you on Twitter? Yes, my name, Fred Quayar. Um, somehow or another, a lot of people started following me for some reason. So, yeah, if you ever want to talk to me or have a question, just by all means, uh, look me up at Fred Quayar at, on Twitter. And it's C-U-E-L-L-A-R. That's right. Hacker Nation, make sure to head over to successhackers.net for this episode's show notes and recap from today's incredible interview with Fred, along with some other really cool stuff that we have on the site. Don't forget, you can take this show anywhere you are at. Listen to me and these incredible interviews by simply going to successhackers.net, clicking on the iTunes tab, and then clicking subscribe to the show on the iTunes page. Also, if you want to connect with me and the show on Twitter, simply go to Scott Hansen 1210 on Twitter, at Scott Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N 1210. This is Scott Hansen saying thanks again for listening to another episode of Success Hackers. Until the next show, go out and live with passion.